Are you ready for some more XFL? I know you are. Welcome back to XFL Extra, the podcast brought to you by XFLboard.com. I'm your host, Mark Nelson, and this is our 48th episode. Last weekend, we witnessed the XFL kick off its 2023 season. In this podcast, I will speak with Greg Parks. Now, Greg is a football fan and an XFLboard.com contributor who writes about the league as a whole. He's also a wrestling fan and a columnist at Pro Wrestling Torch, pwtorch.com. We will talk about the week that was. The beer snakes and the lemons, injuries to offensive lines, quarterbacks and lack of performance, game attendance and ticket sales, and differences in the broadcast from 2020 to 2023. We will also run down the upcoming XFL Week 2. Who do we think will win? If you're smart, you'll never bet on our picks. This episode is called When Life Gives You Lemons. It's about a football league now resurrected from the ashes of its own demise and making the most of an opportunity to succeed in playing one of America's favorite sports. Are you ready? As usual, we won't waste any time. Let's get started. I'd like to welcome Greg Parks to the podcast. Now, Greg has been here before. If you're a follower of this podcast, you're familiar with Greg. Also, if you're a follower of XFLboard.com, you've seen some of the great articles he's written, including uh, one he posted today about the XFL Week 1. Uh, X, uh, Greg is an XFLboard.com contributor from way back, and he writes about the league as a whole, and he's also a wrestling fan and a columnist at Pro Wrestling Torch, pwtorch.com. Welcome, Greg. Thanks for having me on again, Mark. It's, it's wonderful to have you back. And, uh, well, the XFL is back, too. Mm-hmm. And it's been a long way. <laughs> I think it's it's a little more wonderful to have that back than to have me back, in, in all honesty. I'll I'll grant you. Well, I'll, I'll weigh the two. There's, it's pretty <laughs> Now, it's been a long wait, about three years, right? Oh, yeah. Long wait. <laughs> we've we've been through this before you know and i there there is some you know going through the process and reporting on and following on the the creation of a football league from the ground up is has its advantages and has its fun moments and and it's all about excitement it's all about building it's all about what what something can be um but i hope to never go through it again like I, 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 that's it. That's the last it one for me. Like as a fan and as a, as someone covering the league. Like that's, I can't do that again. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just too much for me. Like let's, let's, let's get to on with the games. Let's play through the season. Let's get to season two and let's build a brand here with what we have. You know, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, if this, if this doesn't work and they decide for XFL 4.0, you could probably count me out. I'm probably going to retire from XFL. That'll be it for me. And, you know, I can't imagine, I just can't imagine the scenario where this would fail and then someone else would try it again. But who knows? That scenario, that could, that since could be imagined in some far-fetched way. And, you know, part of me actually imagines Vince McMahon getting involved again somehow, somehow, because I never thought, I never thought he would get involved in a football league back when he gave up the ex- first XFL in 2001, but he did. That was my mistake for thinking he would never come back. So I'm not going to make that mistake again. I would not <laughs> doubt if that guy would show up again. 
although I'm not predicting he will. I just would not surprise me. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, so this weekend we had four games. They were all relatively good games, weren't they? They all had. They, they were not um, complete games by any stretch. Uh, I didn't think there was any game where you could go and say, "Wow!" From the kickoff in the first quarter to the to the final whistle in the fourth quarter, those two teams played complete games. Uh, there was, you know, even the the most exciting ending um, with the Brahmas and the Battlehawks. That was. That was a rough game offensively for much of the uh, three quarters that preceded it. And so, but but again, expectations, right? I mean, there, there was no preseason games. They had to scratch the uh, games that they were going to do, the practice games for ESPN. So there was no preseason games. There was no mini camp. So it was, you know, a four or five week training camp, and that was really it. And so I think folks have to temper their expectations of, how these teams are going to come out in week one playing together for the first time. And so were they complete games? No, absolutely not. Was I expecting them to be complete games in week one? No, of course not. Um, So I I think the best thing you could say about this was three out of the four games weren't decided until the very end. We see that more and more in the NFL and that's what makes games interesting. That's what makes them dramatic. And, you know, the other thing, and I'm probably, I'm jumping all over the place here, but, the other thing that I think was was good coming out of this week is there were a lot of buzzworthy moments that you could share on social media, videos and clips and great catches and uh, fantastic endings. And those are those sports center moments. Those are those moments that I'm not going to say they're going to go viral on Twitter, but they're going to get people to notice it on Twitter and on social media. And so I think really in this day and age of of social media being such a a dominant part of many of our lives i think that's really the best you could hope for you know the the games were what they were but there were enough exciting moments and the games three of the four games came down to the wire um in a way that i think can get people talking and get some buzz out there well that's a very good point i think the only real uh uh, moment that the XFL engineered, or one of the biggest moments they engineered, was in the initial, the first game, uh, where The Rock came out and gave a speech and did his rock thing. Of course, that was all scripted. It was engineered. And some of the other things you mentioned were not engineered. For example, the in the DC Defenders game, when the fans started throwing the lemons on the field. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, uh, no one thought that was going to happen, but apparently that was a moment that, that they were able to key upon, including in the sports center as well, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm sure it was there. Oh, for sure. Um, and that's one of the things that uh, I, I wrote about in my column you mentioned um, that was put out today, three up and three down for the XFL week one. And, you know, it's it's something that we can kind of laugh at and something that we can kind of, you know, th- that'll gain the XFL some attention. But really, that was bordering on a very dangerous situation for the players and the coaches and the referees and other fans. I mean, anytime you have fans throwing anything, even if there's something like as, as innocent as lemons onto the field, um, you're, you're putting the some folks at risk there. And so. I think the XFL and Audi field have to get together 
between now and their next home game, March first, uh, March fifth, and figure out what to do about this beer snake situation. Because for whatever reason, uh, the beer snake was not allowed um, at the game, and that drew the ire of the fans, who probably many of them went there to to take part in the beer snake, which is one of the biggest deals of XFL 2020, and and what the DC defenders were known for. Um, so. The league and, and the stadium have to figure out what to do about that because if they're go- not going to allow it, there's they have to find a situation where this the throwing of things onto the field doesn't happen again. Oh, I agree with you. The throwing of the lemons was uh, that was a bad move. Um, yeah, throwing of any any uh, projectile at a sporting event is is a horrible thing to do. Now, why does somebody bring lemons to a football game? I'm thinking they need it for the beer. Yeah, sure. I don't. I, I, yeah, I don't think it was brought by the fans. I think it was probably given out in in related to beer, or there was some lemonade that was given out, or or something like that. I, so I don't know. Um, again, yeah. that, and if it wasn't lemons, it would be something else. They they would have found something else to throw on the field. So um, yeah, yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. Well, I was at a football game once uh, in Winnipeg in the in the. The Great Cup when somebody threw a full can of beer at Rocket Ishmael while he was running for the winning touchdown. Um, th- that's an iconic moment in the Canadian Football League, by the way. <laughs> but who throws away a good can of beer? Like, come on. Especially as <laughs> for pricey as they are at football games. Right, exactly. So even with that beer snake, beer cup snake, uh, I think in XFL board in the discussion forum, somebody posted it. It was $13 a cup for a cup of beer. And I did the math in my head that a yard of beer snake would probably take about 100 cups. So that's $1,300. Now, if you had a 10-yard long beer snake, that's $13,000 of beer <laughs> that was consumed. I mean, you can, you know, the math is, pr- I'm sure it's pretty close. I'm pr- I think I'm, pr- I'm pretty close. So, yeah, so, I mean, that's that's a big deal. And you think about the concessions are making that money. So, um, I don't know why they decided the beer snake was not good, because if you look from a fan's point of view, the last time there was an XFL game in Audi, at Audi Field, three year, oh, just over three years ago, the commissioner of the XFL actually showed up and put a cup on the snake himself. So You know, part part of me was thinking with, with ownership being at the stadium that they may have intervened and, like, overruled – Audi field security and allowed them to do the beer snake like that. That was going through my mind and, and who knows, they may have, uh, you know, I don't know how long they stayed. I know uh, Jerry Cardinal and Danny Garcia and, and the rock made it to all four games over the, the opening weekend, but who knows how long they stayed. They may not have stayed late enough to, to have been there for that. Um, but that was in the back of my mind that I, I was thinking like, are, are the owners going to be the, in, in wrestling parlance, are they going to be the baby faces and they're going to come out and like save the beer snake at the end? Like, what a way to end the opening weekend, but it was not to be. Yeah, yeah, that would have been, yeah, that would have been a real ending. I'm, that's for sure. You know, there's more to that beer snake lemon story, and if we can get down to the bottom of it, we will. <laughs> but right now, it's just, uh, it's just, it's a moment. But again, it's a, it's what people are, people are talking about it. I noticed there's, there's a lot of lemon, new lemon Twitter accounts on Twitter, like you know. People are coming in as the lemon. Uh, so um, there's more There's more to that. Of course, you pointed out the next game there. They have to figure out what they're going to do. And I agree. Uh-huh. Yeah, for sure. Now, of all the games, now you, 
uh, before we talked about the the lemon gate uh, point, you were talking about the games were uneven, and they, yeah, they were, weren't they? You know, on Sunday early, this first game on Sunday, um, there wasn't a heck of a lot of scoring. You're talking yeah. St. Louis and San Antonio. Yeah, of course. So a huge, there was a huge crowd in San Antonio, of course, and they were making tons of noise. But there was, you know, there really wasn't anything happening game-wise. Very low-scoring match uh-huh. uh, at the beginning, and then they they sort of got it going. But San Antonio, they lost a lot of their offensive line during that game, didn't they? Yeah, there were two guys who uh, I think went out due to injury and. Uh, they they may have been on their last offensive lineman. I'm not sure what they would have done had they suffered another injury because I know they had at least one or two inactive uh, for the game. But um, yeah, and and that's tough because we're already in a situation where offensive linemen, the quality uh, and the depth in the offensive line across these leagues like the XFL and the USFL is already stretched thin. So if you're on now your backup offensive lineman, um, that's, that's a tough task for offense because it's not just protecting the quarterback, it's creating lanes in the running game. And we saw that uh, both teams in the, in the game struggled to do that consistently too. So uh, it, it affects the entire offense when you have an offensive line that is either injured, they're hobbled, they're uh, they're just not doing their job. And I, I feel for these offensive linemen because this is a group that has to work together. All five have to be on the same page, and you have very limited time to work together in training camp. You know, you don't have an opportunity. You don't have one or two or three preseason games like in the NFL to work out the kinks or anything like that. You're working them out on live television for everyone to see. And that's that's a very tall order for a lot of these guys, especially some of these offensive linemen who haven't played a meaningful professional game in a year or two or more. And, you know, I, I think that goes back to my point that I made earlier is we kind of as fans have to understand what the the situation these players are in here in week one. And it's a lot about getting their feet under them. It's a lot about getting a feel for the game and the rules and the timing, because that's all new for a lot of these guys as well. So I think we'll look back hopefully in week five, six, seven, look back at week one and we'll see a, a, a pretty significant jump in the quality of play over that time. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure that's all going to, it's all going to come together. Uh, you know, but there's probably a lot of teams looking for replacement players this week before next week's games. I'm sure. Uh, well, especially with the amount of injuries that were in that St. Louis uh, Brahmas game, St. Louis Battlehawks, San Antonio Brahmas game. Um, now, with that game, the uh, it was it was kind of unique how this Battlehawks came back in that game, wasn't it? That was that was an XFL moment, wasn't it? It was, and and I think that was one of the most exciting parts of the weekend, probably the most exciting finish of the weekend. They looked like they were about done there in the fourth quarter, and then they used the unique rules of the XFL to their advantage, scoring, going for three, uh, opting for the fourth and 15 play rather than the onside kick in order to keep possession of the ball late in the fourth quarter. I think they did all of this with under two minutes to go, by the way, and you know, take advantage of that under two minutes rule where the clock stops on out of bounds and doesn't. Uh, start again until the snap or the clock stops. It's the college rule of the clock stopping on first downs and doesn't start again until the ball is set. So in that two minutes, the last two minutes of each half, 
you have a lot more time to come back. It is built to allow for comebacks, and, and the St. Louis Battlehawks took advantage of that. Um, you know, you could say the rules are skewed a little bit toward toward the Battlehawks to help them win, but had the Brahmas stopped the Battlehawks on that fourth and 15 play and, and not allowed Austin Prohl to get open on the sideline and get his uh, foot inbounds, we would be talking about a Brahmas win today. Yeah, yeah, you have to admit what Austin Prohl did to catch that ball and stay in bounds was actually quite spectacular. Um, <clears throat> that could have gone the other way very easily, but no, he did it. And, and of course, he probably was key to the Battlehawks comeback win. What other players impressed you this weekend? I think you look back to Saturday's game, Trent Harris coming out with four sacks um, in, in the Saturday game. Um, for I believe it was for the Roughnecks, and um, you know he just he and some of his teammates abused the Orlando Guardians' offensive line, and it was just a domination by Houston. I think Orlando scored the first uh, touchdown, but yeah. after that it was it was basically all Houston. And you know it was, it was uh, Trent Harris I think had four sacks, and, and Tim Ward had two or three, and they were two guys who were picked up late in camp. They were two guys who were on NFL practice squads until the end of the year. They opted to sign with the XFL rather than sign a futures contract in the NFL. So, um, you know, these are, are two guys who are probably, you know, you're talking about the the quality of players in the XFL. They're right near the top. And they showed that in that game. And so, you know, I think we all thought Houston's offense was going to be uh, pretty dominating with their run and shoot concepts by AJ Smith who learned under, you know, Mike Leach and, and June Jones and, and those guys like that. And their defense, I think came up just as big, if not bigger than their offense. Yeah. So that was pretty impressive. I have to admit there was some, you know, there was some glory moments for some players. Um, maybe, maybe, maybe not for the, all the quarterbacks, of course, like Drew Plitt. Right. How do you think Drew Plitt did? For the Renegades, you know, I think all the quarterbacks struggled, which, again, it's not I, I I don't know how much to blame them and how much to say the offensive line, because in many of these games, they were just not given time. And, and there was a lot of dinking and dunking. There was not a lot of shots downfield taken because the offensive line simply was not giving them enough time. So you're not going to call five and seven step drops for quarterbacks if you're an offensive coordinator because by the time you know they're the defense is going to be in their face before we they get to that fifth step um so it was just a lot of dinking and dunking a lot of uh, shots over the middle and you know i i think that will improve as offensive line improves as well there was no and i tweeted this out there was no pj walker here in week one, at least, you know, right. he came out and was strong from the beginning and was strong for a full five weeks. And there were even other quarterbacks. Jordan Tiamu in 2020 was was really strong. Um, there was no quarterback, I think, that really stood out above the rest in week one. Uh, I think if you look at A.J. McCarron's stats for St. Louis and if you didn't watch the game, his stats look really good. <laughs> it looked yeah. like he had a really good game. But if you watch the game, um it was just it was just another so-so performance. So, again, hopefully this is something that improves as the year goes on. The quarterback play, the offensive line play and everything like that is able to catch up to the defense. Uh, defenses are always ahead of the offenses at this time of year anyway. So, again, not a surprise, but uh, you hope that, you know, because this this league is quarterback play is very important. 
and, and good quarterback play is is very important. And you would like to see in the coming weeks some improved quarterback play from these starters. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, look at Luis Perez uh, for the Vegas Vipers in that first game. He came out looking pretty solid. <clears throat> but then things started to unravel for him later on, didn't it? Well, there were a lot of teams, I think, that scored on their first drive or yeah, scored on their second yeah. drive. And you're thinking, you know, here it is. This is going to be the high scoring game of the weekend. And then, it, you know, it goes into halftime nine to seven or something like that. And you're like, what happened? So um, the offenses, I think, throughout the, the week had a pretty strong first drive. And and that's always the drive where you can kind of script it out to as an offensive coordinator. So maybe that had an effect as well. But uh, the defenses were able to adjust really quickly in a lot of these games. And um, yeah, so, so I, I think the offenses had the advantage for the first drive or two, and then the defenses really clamped down after that. Yeah, it really was more or less a defensive weekend for for the XFL. That's for sure. Now let's keep on going with some of these quarterbacks. Uh, ben Danucci. He started out so strong. Yeah. And then it basically everything unraveled again for him. I, you know, I go back to the decision to play Steven Montez for that one drive. And right. you, you don't know how much having a guy sit for one drive really messes with their psyche or their mechanics. Or you, I, I can't imagine it really hurt Danucci at all. The way the announcers talked, it was always the plan to get Steven Montez sometime. So you have to imagine Ben Danucci was not surprised by this. And yet, he just didn't seem the same after that, after Montez came in for one drive. I think it was just a three and out. So it's not like it was a long drive or anything like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was – part of it was, I, I think, too, being backed up a couple times in a, a very raucous D.C. end zone in terms of the the fans, and they were making a lot of noise, and you don't know how much that affected Danucci and, and Seattle's offense. One of them was a pick six right when he was backed up in, in um, deep in their own territory there. So, yeah, he was deep in the lemon zone. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I think that he did show a lot early on. But again, it, it, not being able to put that complete game together, we didn't see a complete game for any quarterback. Danucci seemed to be coming close, and then, like you said, it unraveled at the end there. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens in week two. Hopefully, <clears throat> hopefully no one's uh, too far down that they're going to – get replaced uh, by uh, by another starter. Well, who knows? Eh? We don't know how this is going to work out. That's why we watch these games, just to watch yeah. the drama. <laughs> now, let's go on to uh, some of the uh, ancillary things like the attendance. So people like to track XFL attendance for whatever reason to try to gauge whether the league is successful or not by saying how many people are in the in the stands. You know, that first game in Arlington, that looked very sparse, didn't it? It did. I thought it filled in a little bit better as the game went on, but it was it was sparse looking. And I think, too, a lot of the games had more fans in the stands on the ends in the end zone areas, because when they would do the end zone shots, they looked pretty full. Um, But of course, the the camera angle that you're going to get for the majority of the game is is the sideline cam where they're not showing uh, many fans in the stands on the sidelines. Right. Of course. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess, you know, when it comes to the ticket sales, well, maybe they were a little lower in some some markets. I mean, in uh, um, in San Antonio, they had a huge crowd there. Well, it definitely seemed huge and it was very loud and boisterous. 
And as you pointed out, it was still the attendance was still a few thousand lower than the than the AAF used to get in the same uh, stadium. So, but they're they impressed though the amount of people that showed up for San Antonio that was impressed. What impressive, wasn't it? Absolutely. And each incarnation of the XFL has drawn fewer and fewer fans. And I don't know if that's just because there's more entertainment options for people or or what the the right answer is i'm sure part of it also has to do with just the fact that we're on the third incarnation of the xfl and there's the law of diminishing returns right the every time the xfl comes back it's going to be a lot harder to draw fans at least that first season because fans want to see the staying power of the league before that they fully get on board with it and that includes spending money to go to games and and when you're spending money to go to games you're not just spending money on tickets you're spending money for parking you're spending money for concessions you're potentially spending money for um you know for for souvenirs and for um team merchandise and things like that so it, it is expensive even in the cheap seats for these games so i think you know you also have to take into account yes the xfl puts t- tickets on sale late yes they got into these markets late uh, yes, they or no, they have not done as much marketing in these cities as XFL 2020 did. And, you know, the, the fact that they're in hubs in Arlington and can't be out in the community as often as they'd like to be. They are getting out quite often, but not often. I mean, it's just physically impossible. You can't get out there as often being based in Arlington as you could be being based in that city. So I think when you take all of those into consideration, the fact that the attendance dropped uh, about 5,000 for each of these returning cities from 2020 is not all that big of a surprise and maybe not all that big of a concern. Like I don't want to, I don't want to just brush it under the rug, but when you take all these into, into consideration and these are self-inflicted wounds, you know, the XFL made the choice um, whether purposefully that they, they didn't want to spend the money on the marketing and they didn't want to spend the money on ticketing infrastructure as early as 2020 did. And, you know, they'd be happy with fewer fans if they weren't spending as much money on the back end of it. Hey, maybe that's their deal. And really, I mean, we can criticize the, the crowd size, but we also don't know what the XFL's internal expectations for a crowd is and what their, um, you know, what their financial, how much they're really weighing the financial aspect of ticket sales. Because, you know, if they're budgeting for 10,000 fans and they're drawing 12,000, that's a success. Um, if they're budgeting for 15,000 and they're drawing 12,000, that's a problem. And so I, I don't know what we'll see going forward. If the answer is more marketing in these cities, if these answers are discounted ticket prices, if the answer is just, you know, they're going to have to suck it up this year and they're going to draw what they draw. And hopefully in the off season, they can really push ticket sales a lot more. And just by virtue of having a second season that it will gain the trust of people in these cities, that this is going to be a long-term investment for the city and, and the XFL in these cities. And that could draw fans in. Maybe that's the answer, but you know, we, we can sit here and say, you know, compare it to, to 2020, but we don't know what the XFL is budgeting for in terms of, of drawing fans and what their internal expectations are. That's really the only one that counts. Yeah, you know, I totally agree with you. I'm glad you said, said it that way because that's the truth. The truth is I don't think it's that important 
to the league that how many people are in the stands. I think they they want to have fans in the stands. There's no doubt about it. But I don't think that's that's not the thing that is going to bring this league down. Certainly no, not. but you know, but I think it, it's it it can only help, right? It can only help yes. the atmosphere. You saw the atmosphere in in San Antonio, right. and just how different that atmosphere was than say the one in Arlington. And I will give right. credit to ESPN; they they mic the crowds well. I thought they even the smaller crowds came across well on TV. Um, but you just can't compare the atmosphere, even watching at home. Of 24,000 fans being in a building compared to 12,000. I mean, it was it was no contest. And DC tried very hard. They were into it. But I think that that's also, you know, the with all with three of the four games really being decided in the last minute, that is where the crowd plays a part. That is where they start getting into it. And that is where they really come across on TV to the viewer. And it makes it feel like a big deal. It makes it feel more important. And it makes it um, makes it come alive. It really does right. make the come right. make the game come alive, even to the TV viewer. When you have the the crowd shots of the crowds going crazy and like you know the the sound and it's disrupting the offense and things like that. I mean, that that plays a role, and I think it plays an important role. Well, that's that's you're absolutely right about that. Now, if you think back to the USFL season last season with the shots of the empty stands. And I'm watching the game. There's football happening. It's good football for the most part, um, which I enjoyed the USFL season last year that I watched. Uh, but whenever they shot the stands, it was depressing as all that because there was nobody there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that's your point is accurate, that having some fans in the stands makes makes for the game. It really does. And perception is reality, too. And, and the, the unfortunate part is you're going to have fans who come across. And, and this was my... This was my big concern with the USFL when they announced the hub, and I was very vocal about this in the XFL board forums, is like, you know, for fans who, who don't know the hub situation or whatever, and they're, they've hear, they've heard about the USFL and they've seen the commercials and they want to check it out, and they tune in and there's like a smattering of fans in the stands, they're going to be like, what's going on? Like, this yeah. is this is not worth investing in. Like, so perception is reality in that way. And if if people don't understand, there were a lot of people on social media who didn't understand about the hub that the USFL had. And I think that was probably frustrating for the league because a lot of people got the impression that this league was just not legitimate, was not popular because they could not put fans in the stands. And so that comes across to the casual viewer who you're trying to attract um, you, you know, you can't draw from this isn't the Green Bay Packers where season tickets have been passed down through three generations. And it's it's part of your family history to be a fan of this team like these teams don't have that history. So you're you're not you don't have automatic viewers who are going to tune in because, well, it's Sunday and the Arlington Renegades are playing. And for decades, I've watched the Arlington Renegades, you know, that you have to draw those new fans in. And part of that is making the product feel hot, making the product feel popular. And you do that by having fans in the stands that that people can see when they're watching on television. Exactly. So, Greg, compared to uh, 2020 XFL, uh, what did you think of the the way this the league was broadcast this past week. How how was it different? It to me it really wasn't all that different. And and for all of the you know the the talk from ownership about you know the league being all access never seen before, never done before, like it kind of was the same broadcast as 2020. And and to a certain level, like 
with ESPN being a broadcast partner again, you kind of expect that. And there's really only so much you can do, right? There's there's only so many different camera angles. There's only so many people you can mic up. There's only so many people you can talk to during the course of a game. Um, so there, there are certain limitations on how much access you can really provide fans. Um, so I, I thought the broadcasts were good. I thought the graphics were really nice. The intro graphics um, were really cool. I thought the on-screen graphics were really well done, really professional. They did not skimp. They did not make you know the XFL seem like a minor league in how they presented um, the games on television, which I thought was really nice. I, I thought a lot of that was an improvement on 2020, and I liked the graphics, and I liked a lot of the stuff that they did in 2020 as far as the on-screen stuff, but I think I liked 2023s a little better. Um, you know, the the problem with giving access is – Sometimes there's just not a lot to say. <laughs> and there were a couple times like they'd open the mics of the coaches and the the broadcasters would lay out and the coaches literally would not say anything. Well, you know, they didn't know they were on air or anything like that, but it's like they were expecting them to say something or give a call or talk. And there was just like there was nothing. And so that's the downside of live television is sometimes things don't go the way you want them to go. And sometimes what coaches have to say are not as interesting as you would want them to be. And so that's, you can give access as much as you want, but is it worth it? Right. And and mm-hmm. so we got a couple moments, but I think throughout the, the entirety of the season, you'll get moments that make it worth it as a whole. There just wasn't a lot there. I didn't think in week one, um, again, only so much you can do, but I, I think that's also maybe something without that run through game, without that preseason game where ESPN was supposed to be on hand during training camp to sort right. of walk through kind of how they were going to broadcast. Um, that may that, have been that was shut down because of weather, right? Yeah. So so that may have stunted a little bit of, of what they wanted to do in week right. one. But, you know, I think it was I think it was well done. I think there's enough difference in how the XFL presents their games. And, you know, part of the problem too is this is, this is not Netflix. This is not Peacock. This is cable television with families watching. And as much as I would have loved to hear Greg Williams yelling at his assistants and, and cursing his players out, um, there was a lot of muting in that game in, in DC and Seattle. There was a lot yeah. of, you know, you could tell, you could tell they had the, the seven second delay on there. Right. You know, um, they're, they're not going to let a lot of language through, um, which is, I mean, I, I totally get why they do that. It's a little unfortunate in some ways because you're missing out on some of the real emotional and fiery action, which is, you know, what you want to show if you're the XFL. Um, so hopefully Greg Williams, kind of learns to to keep it under wraps a little more so we can hear a little more of what he's saying and, and get his intensity. But Yeah, there was um, a lot of intensity on the DC sidelines, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, so it, you know, there was there was some good and there was just some I don't even want to say not so good because I think access, even if it's not all that interesting, is better than no access at all. And certainly you know, Dean Blandino and the XFL command center with the with the rules, that was um, something that a lot of people I noticed on social media were, were lauding. They thought that was fantastic to get that access from Dean Blandino to hear him communicate with the officials, to hear the officials communicate with each other was real 
it, you know, in an era where people are begging for transparency from the NFL, where people are criticizing the officials every week about the job that they're doing in the NFL, I think what people really want is that transparency and really want that consistency. And I think those people are getting it with the XFL and with how the league is presenting its officiating decision. So that was a big win um, for, for the XFL. I think yeah. that was something it, in 2020, it was the kickoff. People were, were over the moon about the kickoff. They saw the kickoff. They loved it. They were on social media, talking it up and everything like that. It's kind of old news here in 2023, that kickoff people have seen it before. So I think the command center and Dean Blandino being in charge was really what people were um, liking about this rendition of the XFL through week one. Yeah, that transparency is so valuable in the way that they uh, adjudicate the, the the penalties or the or the decisions on the field uh, and and explain them. I mean, I, I I agree with you, and I saw it in social media. I even saw it in in media, in the news media, where they basically said, "Why doesn't the NFL do this?" Like they're basically saying that which is something that we've been thinking since, well, since 2020, at least, uh, XFL 2020. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's, you know, let's take some time to talk about next week's games now. And um, next week, uh, starting Thursday night, uh, there's four games. Uh, one on Thursday, two on, one on, sorry, one on Thursday night, Thursday evening, one on Saturday evening, and two on Sunday. So there you go. Get ready. So, and three of those games are in venues that we haven't seen before, uh, which will be interesting. Uh, one of them in Vegas, in the stadium, the stadium they have prepared in Vegas. So let's go through the games. So the, on Thursday we have St. Louis Battlehawks at Seattle. Uh, well, you know, actually I'm looking for a prediction, but what's your take <laughs> on that game? Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm really interested to see. It's going to be a short week for both teams. They both played on Sunday. I was surprised, you know, with a short week that they couldn't find a Saturday date for these two teams, give them an extra day in there. But a lot of it's going to come down to who's healthiest and who can recover the quickest, right? Uh, St. Louis is coming off a, a very dramatic victory. Seattle is coming off the opposite. They're coming off a very dramatic loss. Can Seattle shake that off? in time to be ready for St. Louis? Is St. Louis going to have a hangover from their victory? Are they going to be able to you know, focus on the Sea Dragons? Are they going to still be celebrating uh, a very big comeback win over the Brahmas? So I, I think both teams are, are relatively evenly matched from what we saw on um, this weekend, this first weekend. Maybe Seattle has a, a little bit of an advantage, even though they're 0-1, I would say. Um, I, I think that if they can get, I think they, you know, it all goes back to offensive line play and they protected Danucci pretty well compared to St. Louis, which struggled at times to protect AJ McCarron. And I think Seattle has a decent defense, uh, despite the, some breakdowns there late in the game against DC that this could be problematic. And they've got the home field advantage. We saw in 2020 that Seattle was really a rocking place for the Dragons in 2020, you know, maybe not that level 25, 30,000 in week one uh, in 2023, but that could also be the difference in the game as it was in D.C. Yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to watching and I, I agree with everything you just said, of course. Um, you know, I thought the Sea Dragons were going to win in D.C. I, I, I honestly thought they had the team and I still do think they have the team. So it could be it could be their week at home, of course. Uh, the second game, the D.C. Defenders are traveling to Vegas. Now, that's probably the game that I want to watch because I want to see this take place in Vegas. 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of intrigue around Cashman Stadium, what it's going to look like, how the setup's going to be for the game. Um, you know, it, it's Vegas put up a fight. I mean, they um, for for a team in Arlington that was for a lot of people the the class of the XFL as far as preseason predictions. They played Arlington pretty tough and had a lead for uh, quite a bit of that game until Arlington mm-hmm. came back. So I think people were impressed with with how Vegas played. And um, again, I, I consider this a pretty even matchup. They could have easily uh, gotten out of um, out of Arlington with a victory, as DC did against Seattle. So I'm I'm really interested. Like you, I want to see the stadium setup. I want to see how it, uh, it it's seated and and really. You know, we hear we've heard a lot from the people who cover sports in Vegas, and they're like, "Ah, people aren't talking about this. There's really no buzz about the Vipers. We're not we're not hearing anything from people about." So I'm I'm interested to in see how many fans they can draw. And of course, you know, the more intimate setting might be better. Um, I, I thought the atmosphere in D.C., despite drawing 12,000 fans, I thought the atmosphere was really good in in that more intimate setting. So um, that could be the same for Vegas at Cashman Field. Yeah, exactly. Um, definitely looking forward to that. Also, uh, I think a stat, and I think I'm right about this, D.C. defenders have never won on the road. <laughs> so, I, mean, I don't know. Are we – that's one thing I brought up. Like, are we – is this is this canon now? Are, are the D.C. defenders of 2020, do their stats count in the history of the D.C. defenders? Well, like, are they the, the same franchise statistically from, from one to the other? I don't know. Well, good question, but I'm going to tell you right now, for this stat, yes, there. Okay. It's the same. For this stat, I love it because – Until because, we're told otherwise, we're going to assume yes. Right. So because I, I read that – actually, I read that uh, online uh, last night where somebody was saying – somebody was bragging about the D.C. Defenders winning, and somebody was saying, well, you still haven't won on the road. So, <laughs> hello. So, uh, the – the first game on Sunday is the Brahmas are in Orlando. Uh, gee, I wonder how that game's going to go. I have no idea. I think the Brahmas are going to win um, maybe pretty handily. Uh, Orlando's going to be in a, a giant stadium, Camping World Stadium. I question their ability to draw there. Tampa did not very, draw very well in 2020, and I know they're completely different cities, but... Um, you know, even if they draw 12,000, it's not gonna, like I like I said earlier. It's it's different in D.C. where it's a you know 12,000 people in a 20,000 seat stadium, as opposed to in Orlando where it'll be 12,000 people in a 60,000 seat stadium. It's just not gonna be the same ambiance. Uh, so you wonder what that home field advantage is even gonna be like. Uh, Orlando's got a lot of work to do. Um, they were the team that a lot of people picked, and in my column uh, before the season began on XFL board and I ranked all the position groups for each team, Orlando came in last. And mm-hmm. I think they showed just how much they're going to struggle this year in, in week one. Now granted Houston's probably, you know, a top level team in the XFL. Um, but, you know, San Antonio showed that they could hang uh, even though they lost to St. Louis. So I don't know if Orlando could make enough plays on defense, you know, San Antonio's offense with Jack Cohn under center, uh, he's not a guy who's going to threaten you with a deep ball, I don't think. So Orlando could hang in there if they make a couple plays on defense. They get a turnover or two, and um, you know the, this could be the surprise game of the week, maybe. But I, I think just you know looking at the roster, San Antonio, I think has has the stronger roster, so I'd go with them here. 
Yeah, you know, I, I, that's a good analysis, but I have, you know what, I have no idea. Um, you know what, if I was to bet money on Orlando to win, uh, you can bet that San Antonio would win. That's the way it goes for me and betting. Well, and I, I have to laugh at the people who bet on on games. Like you've never seen any of these teams play. What are you basing? What are you basing out your your bets on? Like I've I have no idea. I would never I would never bet on the first week of a a, a completely new uh, league. Like that's just. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of throwing money away. Like if I'm betting money, I want to have some kind of knowledge that I'm betting it based on, you know, either history uh, with the teams or the players or, you know, some, there's nothing to draw from here. They're they're all completely new. The guardians could end up winning the championship. Who knows? You know, they're just, it's, it's crazy to me, but Hey, you know, it's, it's a big part of sports now. And that's just the way it is. It seems so, you know, uh, we have a column at XFL board now of Joel Betts, um, who actually handicapped two of the games this past week? That and he was correct in both of them. Um, he and he he told me, I said you're not going to do all four games. He says no, they, I can't figure those other two games out. So <laughs> some people know how to bet. <laughs> yeah. because God bless them because I I have no clue. I have no instinct for that. So if yeah. they if they have that sixth sense for betting even in games like this, God bless them. All the more power to them. Yeah, well, whenever they win, whenever they win money on a bet, you can guarantee that some of that money's mine because I'm losing whenever I make a bet. So. <laughs> uh, the last game, uh, Arlington at Houston. So this is another, this is Texas throwdown again, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and, and this is a real opportunity. Houston is the only team who's got back-to-back home games, and you know, you wonder. Is there going to be an influx of, of Arlington fans? I don't. I think it's a, quite a drive from Arlington to Houston. Um, let me see. Let me it's pull it up. It's a few hours, yeah. It's uh, almost four hours, it looks like. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's it's doable. I don't know if it's doable on a Sunday night when a lot of people have to get up and work the next day. But uh, it's certainly doable. And, you know, I, I wonder if that rivalry of Arlington and Houston, it was played up a little in 2020. They didn't really get a lot of time to play it up. But I wonder if that that crosstown rivalry such as it is might draw a few more interested fans. And, and it's really an opportunity to see what effect the first week of the XFL had on uh, fans in, in a city to going back to back here, you know, do people in Houston who were maybe skeptical of the league, was there enough buzz around it? Did they see enough that they liked from week one to say, you know what, I'm, I'll go to, I was on the fence, but you know, I I'll go to a game here in week two. So, you know, that's a possibility as well. It'll be interesting to see what the attendance is there for week two. Yeah, that might be a good comparison. Uh, mind you, the game this week in Houston was a Saturday evening game uh, with us, I think, 7.30 local start. And then this game is a Sunday evening game with, I believe it's a 6, 6 p.m. evening local start. So it's a little earlier. Mind you, it's on Sunday evening, so that's nice for uh, anyone that used to work the next day or even families, they can be out of there uh, by nine o'clock. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, I, I agree with you. Well, you know, the, the difference in attendance numbers will, will tell a story, I think. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I would expect it to go down. I think there was maybe trying to think of how many franchises in 2020. I looked at this earlier and I can't remember two or three teams whose attendance actually increased as the season went along. And so, you know, that could be something. It, it's not an automatic drop. I, I think probably, you know, 
you may see a little bit of a drop. I don't think it'll be drastic in Houston if you see it. Um, but, uh, you know, there is still room for a lot of these teams to grow their fan bases even throughout the season. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me if some of those numbers for D.C. and Arlington and even Houston went up um, in the next few weeks, the next times they have home games. Well, I, I predict Houston's numbers will go up. Um, just okay. from the, ex- the excitement of them having such a, you know, the perception that they've got a winning team because they won the first week and handily, you know, the fans are going to come out to see that now. So yeah. maybe I'm wrong, but so the Don't other put money uh, on it, Mark. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not a sucker <laughs> that way. Trust me. Uh, the other, I think the last thing we should uh, definitely mention is how the league announced the championship game will be in San Antonio. Yeah, that was announced during the broadcast of the game on um, on Sunday with the Brahmas and the uh, yeah. and the Guardian. Uh, in, in, in the Alamo Dome, they made the announcement, right? Yes. Um, you know, there had been rumors about doing it a couple different places, and uh, I, I don't really have a good feel for where they should do it. I guess I would have guessed Arlington because that is their hub, and I yeah. think that would have been – the right way to sort of cap off the first season, kind of where it all began, right, at the Arlington Hub for training camp and have the championship game there as well. But, um, you know, they may be looking at a place where they can draw more fans. And certainly the Alamo Dome has much more seating than than does, you know, Choctaw Stadium in Arlington. So they may be betting big here by, by having the Alamo Dome and, um, certainly if the Brahmas are in the championship, my gosh, that, that, you know, that place is going to be pretty full. Um, I, I wonder if you have, you know, Seattle and St. Louis, what it's going to look like, uh, having it in Texas makes a lot of sense because there are three Texas teams. So you have a pretty good chance of a Texas team landing in the championship game. And mm-hmm. it's a, certainly a lot easier for fans of the Renegades or the, the Roughnecks to travel to San Antonio than it would be for you know, teams of uh, any of the other teams, Orlando, DC or anything like that. Um, so they, they may be hedging that way as well by having it in Texas. But yeah, I mean, it, a lot of it's availability too, right? They, they didn't get these stadiums locked down until very late when they right. probably had a lot of other stuff going on in the spring and, and later on. So it was all about availability is about what they could book, how much it could be. They did change the game time, by the way, uh, initially when they announced the schedule, the championship game would be at 3 PM. It's now at 8 PM. So I don't know if that again has to do with the availability of the Alamo dome, or I don't know how to take that. It seems like a good sign that they're, that they're putting the championship game in prime time and moving it into prime time. Um, but I don't know the machinations behind that move. So I think doing it in prime time is, um, makes it feel like a bigger deal anyway. Yeah, I guess it does. So it'll be on a Saturday evening, uh, as opposed to a Saturday afternoon on ABC, if I'm right. I believe that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm sure the reason why it's in the Alamo Dome is because they got, they got the proper deal there. They, they managed to make a deal with them that would, that made sense. And they know that it, they'll probably be a Texas team in that in that uh, championship, unless Orlando um, unless Orlando makes it into that that game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, we'll see. Uh, anything can happen in the XFL. Well, that's right, and that's why we watch these games because anything can happen. That's yes. otherwise we wouldn't even bother watching, right? Right. Well, 
Well, it's nice chatting with you again. I really appreciate everything you have to say about this first week. Um, things are going to, uh, my prediction that things are going to go all, we're going to have a full season this year, all 10 games, two weeks of playoffs, and then we'll have nothing to talk about after that except for the next season of XFL football. That would be, I'm I'm knocking on wood right now. That would be great for there to be nothing to talk about at the end of the season. Boy, would that be a refreshing change of pace. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm expecting, and hopefully that's the way it plays out. Well, it's nice talking with you again, Greg. Uh, I'd like to wish you uh, uh, good luck and have a good day, and we'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely, and of course, you know, I'll, I'll be covering the league throughout the season on XFL board. You mentioned I already have a column up. Um, by the time this podcast drops, it's three up and three down for the first week of the XFL. I'll have probably two or three other columns out throughout this week, and I'll try to get on a consistent schedule with that going forward throughout the rest of the week. So um, you can always be on the lookout for my stuff at XFLboard.com. Right. Yeah, for sure. And you know what? I read everything you write. It's perfect. It's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks again to my guest, Greg Parks. It is always fun to hear your take on the XFL. I learned a lot. I look forward to your coming columns on XFLboard.com. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. You are welcome to come back next time where we will have more guests and more XFL. Until next time, this was your host, Mark Nelson, and I hope you enjoyed XFL Extra, the XFLboard.com podcast. (laughs) 